From the Financial Times in London, I'm John Gapper, and this is FT News. The rise of Uber, the ride-hailing service, and delivery companies such as Deliveroo in London have brought consumers all kinds of new services that they can order on their mobile phones. But they've also created new forms of employment and tensions among some of these new workers. Sarah O'Connor, the FT's employment correspondent, has written about this in a piece for the FT magazine this week. Sarah, what have you discovered? Um, so this August has been a really interesting time in London with regards to the gig economy because we've suddenly seen a sort of outbreak of wildcat strikes among these reasonably sort of invisible workers that are powering the gig economy. I went down to a couple of them, so Deliveroo workers all got together. Even though they all work separately, you would think it would be hard to organise, but they have these kind of mass WhatsApp groups in which they communicate and compare notes. So they all got together to protest about the fact that Deliveroo is trialling a new payment system. In some of its zones, they're shifting from £7 an hour plus £1 per delivery to a piece rate system of £3.75 per drop. Some of them weren't very happy about that. And then a similar service has been set up by Uber very recently in London. And those guys also staged a very kind of noisy, angry protest outside Uber Eats office because they have been sort of lowering the payment per drop that they offer to these guys. So effectively, they think they're getting their wages cut. I mean, how many people now work in this gig economy? It's really hard to quantify globally, but the best estimates are coming out of the US. And there it looks as if about 0.5% of the workforce or 800,000 people or thereabouts are working on these platforms. So it's relatively small, but it's also growing very quickly. Right. And are they employed? I mean, what is their actual status? Are they workers? Are they self-employed? What are they? (laughs) Well, this is the sort of burning question at the heart of a lot of these protests, actually, is that Nobody really knows. So the platforms are very much defining them as self-employed, and that's how they can justify paying them per delivery, for example. If they were an employee, they would need to be paid at least the minimum wage per hour. They would also need to be paid sick pay, holiday pay, all of those sorts of things. But the tricky thing is that... In some ways, they very much look like they're self-employed. For example, if you drive a car for Uber, you're not obliged to turn up to work at 9am on Monday. You just take out your app and you turn it on. And if you don't feel like working that day, you don't turn it on. So in that sense, they don't feel like an employee. But on the other end of the scale, once their apps are on... They're managed very tightly by these algorithms in their pockets. So these algorithms tell them where to go, how quickly they need to go. If you're a delivery driver, you have 30 seconds to respond to a new delivery request. It's only when you get to the restaurant that you find out where you're being sent. And they also are given an awful lot of feedback, so they get very regular kind of metrics on how well they're doing relative to the platform's expectations. And in that sense, that does feel more like an employee And so that's the sort of real question now that is being taken to the courts in places. There's an employment tribunal in London between Uber and the GMB union. There's also been a big court case involving Uber in the States, which has been settled. So this whole thing is really a sort of employment grey area, really, which we're discovering. But one of the things you've obviously been writing about is the way in which technology allows people to be monitored much more closely and intimately, really, than they ever used to be. That used to be you had to be within sight of your manager for him or her to really know what was going on. doesn't sound like that's the case anymore. No, exactly. And it's this technology that allows things like the gig economy to exist. You know, Uber has a million drivers. You couldn't have a million employees that you had no idea what they were doing, where they were going, it would be an impossible task to manage them. But you can use an algorithm to manage them very well, actually. 
And that's also a way of kind of taking all of these slightly disparate casual workers who aren't technically anyone's employees and still managing to get them to create quite a kind of cohesive consumer service that is reliable and that consumers want to use. Right. And are there, are there any historical parallels for this kind of thing? Yes. The more I dug into this, the more I was reminded of a guy called Frederick Winslow Taylor, who invented something that he called scientific management about 100 years ago in America. So he was looking into the factories of America around the turn of the century and all he saw was inefficiency. You know, these workers were basically all left to do their own job in the way that they saw fit with their own tools. There was no sort of systematic attempt to measure what they were doing. And he flooded shop floors with men with stopwatches and notebooks. And he made them write down how quickly should people do things? What is the optimal way to do every single task that adds up to a job? And then he would give workers instruction cards telling them this is what you must do and this is the time in which you have to do it. And he would use sort of performance-related pay, really, to try and incentivize workers to match his standards. And actually, I think that algorithmic management is a sort of tailorism on steroids. This allows you to measure people far more closely than Taylor ever could have, but I'm sure would have loved to if he could. Right, and, and you had to be inside the factory for Taylor or his managers to measure you, whereas the mobile phone, in a way, you're carrying around an instrument of being monitored, which I guess was unpredictable when they were first brought out. But one thing that strikes me talking to you is that, in a way, a lot of this stuff seems to go quite against the whole trend of human resource management in the past 20 or 30 years, where all the rhetoric has been about teamwork and spontaneity and getting individuals' creative contributions and working in self-managing teams And there's a whole theory X and theory Y about the way in which you don't want to stand over every individual, but you want to let them flourish in some way, and that will raise productivity. So there seems to be a bit of a contradiction here. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I guess one thing to say is that these workers that we're talking about right now that are subject to sort of Tayloristic type processes, generally they're kind of towards the bottom of the labour market. So these are not sort of management consultants sitting in McKinsey. These are people who are paid not very much and are kind of rushing around trying to deliver a service to consumers that want it quickly. And they're they're people who in some world could be replaced by robots. I mean, they have robotic activities in some ways, and if you had self-driving motorbikes or drones that could deliver this stuff, then I'm sure these platforms would simply get rid of the middle person at all. Exactly. I mean, Uber is um, very keen on the idea of self-driving cars, isn't it? So there's that. So these, these sorts of jobs are the sorts of jobs that lend themselves to close monitoring and timing and that sort of thing. But I do think it is also creeping into some white-collar workplaces as well. And I think, to be honest, it's just because the technology has become good enough that managers can. You know, you can measure this stuff, so you might as well. And then once you've got the data, you sort of think about what you might be able to do with it. So it does seem to be creeping into some types of white-collar jobs. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there was a huge amount of research to say that actually giving people a sense of autonomy, of power and control over their own work is the best way to get stuff out of them. But I wonder whether the pendulum is swinging the other way. Well, I mean, it's a sort of fascinating set of trends and I guess slightly alarming for some employees that can think themselves. We could all think, well, I could be monitored in this sort of way if there was the technology to do it. And suddenly there is the technology to do it. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, the FT could monitor exactly how many people read our articles, John, and then judge us accordingly. Let's hope that they don't. Let's stop right there. Um, (laughs) Sarah, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me. Hey. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.